0: The message is appropriate for the occasion of not only the first of the new year, but also communion. Would you take your Bibles if you're not already there? Turn to Exodus chapter 12. This is the passage that talks about the observance of the first Passover, the instructions given. You know, the best illustrations of New Testament truths are found in the Old Testament. That's why Paul told the Corinthians the things that happened before in the Old Testament are examples or examples to us. They are given for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. So when you have an illustration from the Old Testament, it's inspired. Usually other illustrations will fall short. The New Testament truth associated with this story is the one found in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8, which we'll get to in a moment. The truth of redemption by blood is what is chapter 12 of Exodus is all about. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house, And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood... And strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire, an unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden, that means boiled, at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with the pertinence the entrails thereof. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning." And that which remaineth unto the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord." Verse 13, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. I hear just a little bit of an echo, brother. If we could turn it down just a little, maybe that would help. The New Testament commentary, as I mentioned, First Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. Well, let's begin with verse 6. There's a reason Paul is saying this to the Corinthians. They had some holdovers from the world and the flesh that still needed to be dealt with. He said in verse 6, "'Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, get rid of it, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover,' is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. No event in the book of Exodus more clearly speaks of Christ and His atoning blood than the slaying of the Passover lamb. Yes, there's much throughout the Pentateuch about sacrifices, and they all picture Jesus and His work of salvation or sanctification. But nothing speaks more of Christ than what we just read about. And of course, the inspired comment there in 1 Corinthians chapter five: For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The Passover observance was foundational to the life of the nation Israel. I think it's significant there in verse two of of chapter. 12 of Exodus that the Lord told Moses this month the month Abib roughly corresponding to our April this month shall be unto you the beginning of months it shall be the first month of the year to you many of you within the last few days have put up a new calendar turned a page if you have a more than a one year calendar and the first month the beginning of the religious calendar of the Jews was the month of Abib it was it began with the observance of the Passover life begins at Calvary life begins at Calvary where the blood was applied to your heart and life and mind redemption by the blood of the God's lamb is foundational for our spiritual life for every true believer not just when you get saved but right on through, we need the blood. The first observance of the Passover was held on the eve of the exodus of Israel from Egypt. That's where it started. Redemption and deliverance are all intricately entwined. Life begins at Calvary. I cringe, I must confess, every time I hear some converted celebrity, and it doesn't happen as much now as it used to. There was a time when that the, the end thing was to have some converted celebrity come through and dr- draw a big crowd at your fundamental church. But I cringe when I hear some converted celebrity glamorize their past life. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear all the details about how much money he gave up, how many women he seduced, how much liquor he could hold, how many Oscars or Emmys or medals he won. Just tell me what Jesus has done for your soul. Paul said, those things that were men counted gain, I counted loss for the sake of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something before we go any further. Do you remember when you had your exodus? you remember when you had your exodus from the world, from Egypt? When you said, goodbye world, goodbye, and you meant it? There's a song we don't sing much anymore, I love it. One verse says this, Back to the cold world I will not go. Back to the old paths of pain and of woe. Back to the old life of sin. Oh no, I've had a glimpse of Jesus. Does your heart echo to that? I hope so. What kind of lamb was this Passover lamb in the way it pictured Jesus, the Lamb of God, I'll give you three things today. We won't get very far with the third one. Okay, I'll let you know that in case some of you get nervous. And it's after 12 and we barely touched the third point. Three things. We may have to continue this in another message. What kind of lamb? Well, first of all, it was a slain lamb. It was a slain lamb. Verse 6 gives us God's further instructions to Moses to convey to Israel about this lamb. He said, in the latter part of the verse, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. The lamb had to be slain at the right time in the right manner. May I remind you that according to what Paul told the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first few verses, the gospel is not only that Jesus died and was buried and rose again, but that he did that according to the scriptures. Don't leave that out. It has to be according to the scriptures. The lamb had to die in the right way at the right time. I submit to you that no other creature could have typified so well the lamb of God. Even to young children, you've seen this if you've gone to a petting zoo, there are certain animals to which they gravitate. One of them is the lamb, gentle and harmless and fuzzy and lovable. No other animal created by God so well pictures his son Jesus, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. In many, many ways, Jesus was like a lamb. We could dedicate a whole message to this. He was like a lamb before his shearers is dumb, Isaiah said. Jesus opened not his mouth before his accusers and his persecutors. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. He just committed his soul to His Father who would judge righteously. But I believe the way in Jesus was was most lamb-like is the fact that He was slain. His blood was shed just like millions of innocent lambs throughout the Old Testament dispensation. And so the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, portrays so well to the devout Jew, the suffering of the silent, patient, harmless Messiah as he was slaughtered for our sins. It wouldn't have been any good. It wouldn't have done any good for the uh, father of each home of the Jews in Goshen in Egypt to have put a live lamb at the front door, tied up or pinned in. No, God didn't want an interactive nativity display. He wanted blood. An innocent lamb had to be killed. How? How? Well, it had to be killed as a substitutionary sacrifice. Only when Jehovah saw the lamb on the top door post and the side post would he be satisfied and pass over that house with the death angel, and a firstborn son would not be slain. Otherwise, the firstborn son was sure to be slain. And that would have meant the firstborn in Egypt and the firstborn in Goshen, Just because the Jews were in, the Israelites were in Goshen, didn't mean that the death angel couldn't slay them there. And it didn't matter whether the firstborn son was one month old or a hundred years old. If the blood was not applied to the door, there would have been a cry go up at midnight because of death. You know, it's very interesting to notice the place where the lamb was slain. I don't know if you've made a note of this. It's not just a incidental thing, but only the first Passover, the one we read about here, the instructions for it, only the first Passover was held in Egypt. The second Passover was held in the wilderness as Israel was taken out of Egypt. But then we don't read about any Passovers being held until the Israelites entered into the land of Canaan. And by that time, God forbade them to slay the Paschal Lamb in their own homes. And He said this in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 5, Thou mayest not sacrifice the Passover within any of thy gates, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, but at the place, mark that, at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place His name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even, or in the evening, at the going down of the sun, at the season that thou camest forth out of Egypt couldn't be done in the home, had to be done at the place which the Lord God would choose. Jesus talked about this with the woman at the well of Samaria, as is recorded in John chapter 4. He mentioned that it was in Jerusalem where men ought to worship, because she was a Samaritan. He said, for salvation is of of the Jews. It's at Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. That's where the altar was, where the blood was shed. That's where God had chosen to place His name. Now that's significant because it it was in Jerusalem that the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, was sacrificed for us. Oh, they tried to kill Him before that. They tried to kill Him elsewhere. In His own hometown synagogue of Nazareth, they tried to drive Him outside the city and make Him fall down off of a steep cliff and kill Himself. But It wasn't God's time. Jesus escaped out of their midst. They tried to stone him. Herod tried to kill him as a baby. But Jesus himself said, a prophet cannot perish out of Jerusalem. And so it was that the greatest prophet of all had to be sacrificed there. The prophet who was the Savior, the Lamb of God. Furthermore, God's Lamb was slain at Jehovah's own command. It was God who decreed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. As I already mentioned, even though Israel was in the land of Goshen and God put a difference as far as the plagues were concerned between them and the rest of of Egypt, when it came time for the death of the firstborn and the Passover, being in the land of Goshen didn't make them exempt. They had to apply the blood. Why? God accepted the substitute. He was satisfied by the blood of the Lamb. And He kept His word. He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the term Passover. Again, if He did not see the blood, there would be a great cry of bereavement at midnight. That Hebrew word Passover is so beautiful, so descriptive. It is the word pasach. In Isaiah 31, verse 5, it pictures a bird protecting her nest by fluttering over it, spreading and flapping her wings. What a beautiful picture of Jehovah. He Himself, God Himself, protects the soul that hides under the blood of His Son who was slain for us. I love the song, we don't sing it very much, More Secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. No one is more secure than that. I came across a true story told by Dr. Herbert Lockyer. He tells about the fact that there was a monument to a lamb in a certain city that a traveler visited. It was in a most unusual place. It was so conspicuous. It was a Atop a public public building, a spire on that building had a stone figure of a lamb inserted about two-thirds of the way up. The traveler was very curious, so he stopped a a passerby that looked like a a local, and he said, excuse me, sir, but I'm a visitor, I'm a stranger here, and I'm just wondering, I'm very curious, could you tell me if there's a story behind that unusual spire? And the local was very accommodating, said, yes, I, I most certainly will. I lived here. I actually saw this building go up. I saw the masons working on it. I saw them working at the level indicated by that stone lamb. And one of those workers lost his balance and fell. And as you can see, it was a good way down. Quite a vertical fall. Was he killed? The intrigued traveler asked. The local said No. And that's the miracle. Those who saw him fall, and there were many, expected to find his mangled, lifeless, bloody body on the pavement. But though he was shaken badly and bruised, not one bone was broken. And the reason was there was a flock of lambs on their way to the slaughter at that very moment. And the mason landed on the back of one of those sheep killing the sheep, but breaking his fall. The lamb was killed, but though badly bruised and battered, the mason recovered. The builder was so impressed with this miracle that he had the stone lamb placed there as a lasting tribute to the lamb that died to save a stone mason from certain death. That's a true story. Beloved, the Lamb of God has done far more than just save us from physical death. He broke our fall. He broke our fall all the way down to the bottomless pit of an eternal hell by giving His life. And in just a few moments as we partake of the Lord's table, though we'll do it with the disposable elements there, that's a monument to the Lamb. I hope we look at it that way. We deserved eternal death but the load of our sin fell on God's Lamb. He was crushed so that we could be spared. The Lamb was a substitutionary sacrifice, but the slain Lamb also furnished sustaining food. It wasn't just that the Lamb had to be slain. It and the blood spattered, and then everything discarded? No. In verses 8 and 9 we read, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden, I told you that meant boiled at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with a pertinence, that means his entrails thereof. I've never done this before. I've preached along this line, but I've never really examined each of those descriptions there, those specifications. I want to do so this morning. Let's look at them one by one. First of all, roast with fire. The lamb could not be eaten raw. It couldn't just be boiled and then the meat eaten. It couldn't be just cooked. It had to be roasted. You say, how does that picture Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked. Oh, what a fire Jesus passed through to become food for our souls. He is exalted now. He's exalted far above all principality and power in every name that is named in heaven or on earth. But let's never forget what He passed through and what He endured to get there. And also may I remind you it is faith in the crucified Christ that saves People can get all sentimental at Christmas time when they see a nativity scene like we had here and see a little innocent baby in the manger. People can get all weepy about that. But it's not the baby Jesus who saves. It's not the miracle-working Jesus who saves. It's not Jesus in His final triumph and glory that saves. It is the crucified Christ who saves. It is the roasted lamb in the fire. Notice that the whole lamb was eaten. That's spoken of by verse, in verse 10. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. Just eat all of it. No leftovers. That which remaineth of it until the morning you shall burn with fire. I'm not trying to be a popular preacher. You know that. Sometimes I say things that are pretty hard but I'm going to give account to God for your souls. That's why I do it. It's because I love you. When it comes to taking Christ, when it comes to feeding on Him, you must have all of Christ or none. You can't just receive half of Jesus. Some people want forgiveness through Christ, but they don't want holiness. You can't get half of Christ. You can't receive Him as your justification and not as your sanctification. All He wants is all of you. The lamb was roasted entirely in the fire. The Passover was eaten, secondly, with unleavened bread. That's mentioned in verse 8. With very few exceptions, leaven in the Bible is a type of sin. Not, Not every instance, but the vast majority of Mentions of leaven. It's a type of sin. Because of its nature, leaven permeates, it sours, it uh, spreads, it defiles. And what would happen in Bible times? A housewife would cut a chunk of dough off of a loaf, she would roll it into a ball, she would sour it in water, and it would become what you ladies know as a, a starter for fermenting another lump of dough, causing it to rise. Well, Paul refers to this with the Corinthians who were still plagued with holdover sins from the past. That's why he wrote the first letter to the Corinthians. This church had problems. They were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They had all kinds of divisions. They had a party spirit inside the church. They were going to court, one with another, believers against believers all kinds of problems. They were accusing him of having a secret life of sin, Paul. He was no longer popular. Paul had to straighten some things out. So there in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, if you can turn back quickly, we read it at the beginning. He says, Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. And then he goes on to say, keep the feast with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, not the old leaven of malice and wickedness. Now, we don't talk about a leaven leavening the whole lump. We would say one rotten apple spoils the whole barrel, the whole bushel. The principle is the same. And the directions are the same find it. Find the culprit and get rid of it. Be ruthless about it. And you know what the Israelites would do. They'd take a candle, they'd scour every nook and cranny in the tent or in the house to find any crumb of bread, any piece of leaven, and they'd make sure they got rid of it. Paul says to these immature Corinthian believers, it's significant that he's talking to them here, Just as the Israelites in Egypt were to have no holdovers from Egypt. No holdovers from Egypt when they went out. But purge out the old leaven and eat only unleavened bread. So you are to take no holdovers from the old life. Purge it out. Listen folks. The church is to break with the old life. The church is to be a new lump. Why? Because Christ our Passover. That's the reason. Our Passover is sacrificed for us. What was it again that separated the Israelites from the Egyptians on that fateful night thousands of years ago? It wasn't the boundaries of Goshen. It was the blood of the Lamb. That's the only thing that separated them from the fate that the Egyptians experienced. The only thing. We are redeemed from all iniquity to be a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Don't take any holdovers from Egypt on your walk of redemption. Again, I'm not trying to be popular, but I think we would be shocked to know how much immorality took place this week by people in this room or watching by live stream. I'm serious as a heart attack. Purge it out! Run from it! extricate it. Be ruthless about it. Get rid of it. It's a matter of life and death. It wasn't just unleavened bread. The feast was to be observed with bitter herbs. Even today among even the the Jews who just observe for the sake of tradition the Passover they'll have Usually two kinds of bitter herbs. I have hazaret, which is a whole thing, a whole horseradish, or another one called maror, M-A-R-O-R. Now think about what was eaten. Everything was significant. The roast lamb was delicious. I had some lamb this week. I hadn't had lamb in years, but I really enjoyed it. Grilled grilled lamb, grilled mutton. Roast lamb was delicious, unless you just didn't like lamb. Unleavened bread, the matzah was at least palatable, but the bitter herbs. I shared about this recently at another observance of the Lord's table, but I'll go a little bit further. I quoted what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. He said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was chief? Ah, what did he say? Am chief. One of the last epistles Paul wrote, or coming toward the close of his life, and he said, the chiefest of sinners, I am chief. He didn't say I was chief before I was arrested by Jesus on the road to Damascus. Could I remind you that even in heaven, when we're gathered around the marriage supper of the Lamb there, we will remember our sin. I don't think it will cause us consternation. We'll know how much we've been forgiven fully and freely. But, beloved, if we will remember it then, shouldn't we remember it now? We are still sinners That sin nature is with us even as we observe the Lord's table and think of what He's done for us. We need to remember our sin. Proverbs 27, verse 7 says, The full soul loatheth a honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing. We're talking about bitter herbs. Every bitter thing is sweet. If you and I are hungry for the fellowship of Christ, and I hope we are, we want to have a closer fellowship in 2023 than we did even in 2022, there may be bitter herbs of of trial and persecution and ridicule that He will allow to come our way. We'll have the sweetness of fellowship with Him. We'll know Him just like the three Hebrews did in the fiery furnace of affliction. But there'll be some bitter herbs. The great saintly Puritan Samuel Rutherford said this, I love this, I made a mental note of it, he said, the cross of Christ is the sweetest burden I ever bore. It is such a burden as gives wings to a bird or sails to a ship. But you know what, a lot of times when trials come our way, we think, I don't, what did I do to deserve that? This isn't what I signed up for. I didn't do anything to get this. Instead of rejoicing, that we're counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Folks, we better change our attitude about that because the suffering's coming. In some places, it's already here. The cross of Christ is the sweetest burden I ever bore, but there's going to be some bitter herbs along with the lamb in our life. It's a slain lamb. Secondly, this is as far as I'll get today. It is a spotless lamb. That is emphasized so much in verse 5 of Exodus chapter 12. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Each of these qualifications mentioned in this verse suggests the fitness of the Lamb of God to be acceptable to His Holy Father. We just take for granted that, you know, Jesus died for us, and so His death atones for our sin. But listen, unless He had been the spotless Lamb of God, His death could not have atoned for our sin. He was a Lamb without blemish. If a Lamb was deaf or deformed or decrepit or diseased, it could not be the Passover Lamb. It had to be discarded. And what does the Bible say about Jesus as our Lamb in this regard, if you can turn to, if you will turn please to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19, a clear reference to this verse in Exodus. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation or manner of life received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot." I know you know this, but let's meditate on it for a moment. Jesus lived an absolutely holy life. He never sinned one time. He never had one impure thought. He never dishonored his mother or his legal father, Joseph. He never acted out of spite or envy or revenge. He never retaliated in the flesh. And therefore his death was not payment for his own sins. And that's how it can be a payment for our sins. The blood shed on Calvary was sinless blood. He was the perfect man. But just as the Passover lamb had to be a male of the first year, Jesus was cut off in his prime. We believe he is about 33 years of age. In the prime of life. God spared not his son. But delivered him up for us all. In the fullness of his manhood. Without blemish. And then as we read in verse 46 of the same chapter. We didn't read that earlier. But if you'll skip over to verse 46 of chapter 12. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth ought of the flesh abroad out of the house neither shall ye break a bone thereof isn't that interesting psalm thirty-four twenty says he keepeth all his bones not one of them is broken an obvious messianic reference so we come to the gospels and i'm not going to have you turn for the sake of time We do have to observe the ordinance, but John tells us in his account of Christ's crucifixion that when the soldiers came to break the legs of the other two thieves, the other two malefactors crucified with Jesus, they did that to hasten their asphyxiation and then their uh, certain death. They found that Jesus had already died. Pilate marveled at that because he knew the usual course of things with crucifixion. The Romans were geniuses at torture. And a man didn't usually just stay on the cross for six hours as Jesus did. He stayed on the cross until his corpse rotted. He, didn't, he wouldn't die for days. It's remarkable that Jesus had already died. The soldiers knew it. They came and checked him out. They didn't take a maul and smash his femurs as they did other victims of crucifixion. Why did they do that? To prevent the victim from pushing up on his legs and catching a breath. Why? Because Jesus had already dismissed His Spirit. His work was done. The Scripture was fulfilled. No man took his life from Him. Praise God and the Lamb forever. He was roasted with fire. The Passover was to be eaten with unleavened bread. It was with bitter herbs. He was a spotless lamb without blemish. Not a bone was broken. One more thing, and that was the lamb had to be set apart. Had to be kept up for four days. The father of the house, the father of the family didn't just go out on the on the morning of the Passover and say, Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Which lamb is going to furnish supper tonight? No, he didn't do that. Verse 6 back there in Exodus 12 makes it clear that they would take a prospect and keep it up until the 14th day of the month, starting on the 10th day of the month. So for four days, this lamb was taken away from the rest of the flock, and it was kept alone. It was quarantined. The great Spurgeon proposes two reasons for this. I think he's right on, hits the nail on the head. First reason, he says, so the constant bleedings would remind the family of the solemn feast about to be celebrated. Probably some of them were pretty tired of it by the fourth day. But it reminded them what was about to happen and why. And also the second reason was was to ensure that the lamb was out without blemish because during those four days that lamb would be subject to multiple inspections. Remember what happened to Jesus in the last four days of His life? He was inspected by all classes of persons. Illegal trials examined by the right-wing Pharisees and the liberal Sadducees, by both Pilate and Herod, by the Jews and the Greeks, by the aristocracy and the common people. And what was the verdict? The verdict was this, He's an immaculate lamb, I find no fault in him. Never man spake like this man. Even Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Behold the spotless Lamb of God, set apart for guilty sinners. That's why we love to sing, guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God, was He full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And that's what I want you to do today. I want you to go away saying, hallelujah, what a Savior, not hallelujah, what a sermon, or what a preacher. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Dear blood-bought child of God, I remind you, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. It was for you, for me, the Savior died. Maybe you're listening today or you're here in person. You think you're saved, but maybe you've never been born again. You haven't taken the whole Christ. You haven't received him as your sacrificial substitute, as your hope of deliverance. If not, could I urge you to do it and do it now? Just say an eternal yes to the Son of God. Just bow your head where you are and say, Lord Jesus, I know you died for me. And here and now, the best I know how, I receive you as my Passover lamb. The Bible says that the Passover was to be done in haste there in verse 11. Do you see it? Verse 11, and thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Do not linger. They had to get out of Egypt. It was a matter of extreme urgency. If someone were to knock on your door in the middle of the night or bang on your window and say, get out, it's fire. Your house is on fire. you think you'd say, well, I don't want to make a rash decision. Let me deliberate about that. But Satan has got sinners hoodwinked and deceived. And when people urge them to flee from the wrath to come, they say, Oh, I don't want to make a rash decision. This is a personal matter. Oh, how ridiculous our excuses can be. I urge you to flee from the wrath to come. Do not linger. Get out. Let's pray. Father, would you awaken careless souls this morning? Another year has dawned, and some are still outside of Christ. That fact haunts me more than any others pastor this church. Some people I preach to week after week after week, they've gone through the motions, but their heart has never been changed. They've never been born again. And they could well say, The harvest is past. The summer is ended, but I'm not yet saved. Oh God, what will it take? Spirit of God, do your convincing work this morning, I plead with you. And for the rest of us, would you sanctify this precious ordinance to our heart and to our life? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We will have.